program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning. Our topic this morning, skeletons in Stockton. Did Elizabeth Fern Rastin walk away from Stockton State Mental Hospital, was once called Stockton State Mental Asylum, or did something else happen? Mass graves were found behind a closed hospital with intact human skeletons. A press release from the California Department of Mental Health dated May 23, 2007, says, The California Stockton, the California Department of Mental Health, today announced that archaeologists have begun efforts to exhume and relocate the, what they call the century-old remains of an unknown man, number of patients at the former site of the Stockton State Hospital. Could one of them be Elizabeth? Elizabeth's daughter, Joyce Tafoya, is here today to talk about her search for her mother with Tammy Davidson, the licensed private investigator Joyce hired to help. Good morning, Joyce and Tammy. Good morning. Good morning. Are you there? Uh, Joyce was adopted, but she didn't know that until 1981. Joyce will tell you the story of her journey to locate her mother. Joyce, you were how old when you found out you were adopted? I was, um, I was about, about a year, year and a half when I was adopted. Okay. And how old were you when you actually found out from your adopted grandmother that you were actually adopted? How old was I when I found out? Uh-huh. It's about 32. About 32. Okay. And then what did you do next when you found that out? You were already an adult, and you, you had a child as well, right? Yes, I did. What did you do next? Pardon me? What was the next thing you did after you found out you were adopted? Um, I went down to the Alameda County Courthouse, and um, I asked, uh, I was going through microfilm because I was familiar with records and searches because I was an escrow officer. You were And um, the lady asked me behind the desk what I was looking for, and I told her I just found out I was adopted, and I was trying to find out, you know, what it was all about and where I came from. And she told me for people like me, I'd never be able to find out. So, um, and of course, I was in a little bit of shock, and I called my cousin. He said, don't drive home. So he met with me uh, so I wouldn't take the freeway. And uh, right after that, I joined a search group. Okay. And you said what you were what kind of an officer? Pardon me? When you went to look for the records, you said you were familiar with searching records because you were some kind of an officer. And I missed, I didn't catch that. I was an escrow officer and manager. An well, escrow Fargo. officer. Okay. 
Okay, so then what was the next search step you took? Um, I, like I say, I joined a search group. Um, I contacted an attorney who sent me immediately my uh, relinquishment paper. At that time, I found out my mother's name and what my na biological name was at birth. And could you explain what a relinquishment paper is? A relinquishment paper is a document that the biological parent signs at the time that she relinquishes the child for adoption. Okay. And did you know from your adopted grandmother why your birth mother relinquished you? Um, I grew up in an alcoholic family with two alcoholic adoptive parents, and I think she was a very insecure person, and she threatened anybody that told me that I was adopted. Right, but when you're, um, but I understand your adopted grandmother is the one who actually told you. Did she tell you? Did she know anything about your no, real parents? No, she didn't. Okay. Okay. So what? What did you do next? Pardon me. What did you do next? What did I do next? Um, I <clears throat> I went and I got my son's world atlas, and um, I looked for pathogens. I went state by state. And um, I, I also sent a letter to Sacramento who sent me my non-identifying information. It didn't have names in it, but it had what my grandfather was, basically where they were from, which was um, South Dakota, um, Nebraska area. And I found a great aunt who told me that I might have an uncle that lives in Texas. He's retired military. And so I used to, on my lunch hours, I'd sit in libraries and go through um, all the pathogens. And I found there was 12 of them in the state of Texas, and I, I did processes of elimination and called, my, uh, called them that night, and uh, my uncle was the second from the last one on the list. And that was your Uncle Bud? Yes, my, my biological uncle, my mother's brother. My goodness, what did he say when you reached him? Well, you know, search techniques teach us not to mention the word adoption, and I told him it was for a class reunion, and, it, and he, everything matched. My grandfather was a laser, and everything matched, and I did get emotional, and I told him that I believe that, you know, I needed to tell him the truth because he was so nice and that I'm an adoptee looking for my mother, and I believe that he's the brother of my mother. And at that time, he was just so appreciative that I called him, and he told me that my mother had been institutionalized uh, from 53 through 56, and she became missing, and um, he wanted to see me immediately and fly me to Texas. It was close to Easter vacation, and he was going to pay all expenses. And what year was that, Joyce? That was 1981. That was 1981. Okay. And then what did you find out about your mother once you got to Texas? What did I, when I met him? Yes. What did you find out after you met your... I, he, he told me that he didn't believe my mother was mentally ill, but um, an aunt by marriage had her committed. And um, he had went and seen her tw a couple of times. He was a lifer in the military and traveled a lot. And whenever he could, he would go see her. He gave me a box of pictures. On the top was an eight and a half by ten of my mother. And my son was just completely flabbergasted how much I looked like my mother. And his comment was, Mom, she looks exactly like you. 
he looked exactly like her. Okay. That was very, very, the the first time in my life I ever felt connected to anybody. How exciting. And now, um, let me me ask you, let me back you up and ask you a couple of questions. Now, uh, is it true that you were saying you went to Alameda County Records. Now, that's in Oakland, California. Is it true that... In Oakland. Yeah. Your mother was originally at... Um, the psychiatric unit at Highland Hospital in Oakland, wasn't she? Uh, she was um, committed there in the basement of Highland Hospital. Okay, and it was your this person that actually had her committed to the Stockton State Hospital was uh, a great aunt by marriage. Is that correct? Am I getting that right? Um, she was an aunt by marriage. Aunt Mary. Uh huh. And what do you know? What her motivation was? Um, she didn't think my mother was fit to live in her small apartment, and she also had, was an instrument in having me adopted. She's the one that promoted my mother to have me adopted. I see. And do you, you have any idea why? Um, from what I understand, she didn't feel like my mother was fit to, I guess, take care of a child and um, be a mother and... Uh, live on her own because she said they, the comment was she lived in her own stench and she isolated and never put her blinds up. She was a little bit paranoia and she said they figured that she needed help. Okay. All right. So, all right. So she, so she evidently, uh, as you know from the medical records that you received, that she was actually committed to Stockton State Hospital. Yes, she was. And that was in 19... 19- Fifty three. Fifty three. Okay. Well, I remember that you had worked with several private investigators um, over the years and got essentially nowhere. Is that correct? Yes, I have, and I did private, and I worked myself. And you were, and you did your own research. Pardon me. And you did, then you, then you did your own research as well. I did private investigation work myself, right? Yeah. Okay. All right. So how? Um, how did what did you do after that? You found you found out she was in the mental hospital, and then where did you go with that information? Um, I went to the mental hospital and I con- contacted someone that was there, who um, was very nice and kind, and he wanted to meet me for lunch, and I did meet him, and um, he shared with me why he wanted to meet with me. Because at one time he was in the same position, he lost contact of his mother. I see. And um, he bought me lunch, we had a nice conversation, and he gave me a manila envelope after the conversation was done, and he gave me um, my mother's medical records, copies of them, from the time she was institutionalized to the time that she disappeared. Okay, and who was this man that you had lunch with? Pardon me? Who was the man you had lunch with? What was his position? Neil Starr. He's deceased now. And what was his position? He was the uh, assistant administrator, and he was getting ready to retire. Okay, so it sounds like he gave you everything he had regarding your mother. I did a lot, right. No, I'm saying he, he gave you, your understanding is he gave you every document he had regarding yes, your mother. Yes, I, I had all the documents, copies of all her medical records, including shock therapy. Okay. All right. 
other than the shock therapy, were there any other surprises in the records? Um, there were several red flags um, that um, my uncle was not notified at the time of her disappearance. My uncle was the person that mailed her her stationery, her stamps, and everything to communicate with him. And uh, months passed where he hadn't heard from her. He contacted the administrator. They, in turn, sent him an apology letter that in 1956 she had disappeared and um, they had neglected to notify him. And this was a formal apology, le apology letter that is in with her medical records. Okay, and was he was your uncle listed as next of kin? Yes, he was. Okay. All right. So then, what happened next? And um, so I met. I did. I did meet other relatives in the interim of all this, and I did meet the lady that had my mother committed. Oh, you did. Yes, Alberta Devine, and she was very negative, and she, uh, the three times I met with her, she just told me that she believed my mother was dead, and I had a hard time digesting that because my mother was still in, like, in her 50s when I started looking, Okay, I believe, and I just couldn't see why she would keep saying that, you know, don't keep searching for your mother. She's probably dead. I see. And did she? Did you ask her why she was involved in committing your mother or anything like that? Did you talk to her about that? Why that she was so negative? No, why she sent your mother essentially to a the Stockton State Mental Hospital. Why she had her committed? Uh huh. That again, that she lived in her own stint. She wasn't responsible. Okay. She barely worked, and she wasn't able. She felt to take care of herself. Okay. Adequately. All right. You're listening to Joyce Tafoya. We will be right back after a break. Thank you. You guys there? Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PI's Declassified. 
If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. Do you need directions to solve financial future? If so, the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answers Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Joyce Sefoya is telling us how she tracked her birth mother, to the Stockton State Mental Hospital. Joining the story is licensed private investigator Tammy Davidson. Tammy specializes in investigative internet research, locating people, documents, and assets, and a variety of other kinds of cases. She was recognized for participating in a civil housing discrimination study performed by the U.S. Government Department of Housing and Urban Development, where she was awarded a Birmingham Pledge Certificate of Appreciation for Outstanding Dedication to Civil Rights Advocacy. Tammy has assisted hundreds of clients locate lost loved ones, missing children, and others to locate and sometimes find closure even to allow families to move on. She was instrumental in the recovery of two missing children from a San Francisco Bay Area underground advocacy group operated by a convicted child molester. Since she's become involved in this case with Joyce, she's continued to help other others search for information of relatives that were patients in the Stockton State Hospital prior to their closing who disappeared also and have never been heard from again. Tammy, tell us how you got involved in this case. Hi, Francie. Uh, well, I had, uh, I, when I first started my business and under double-edged investigations, I was trying to find any avenue I could to advertise my business. So I posted a, a thing on the Cornerstone Church website, and that's how Joyce found me. And she contacted me saying that she... Uh, telling me her story about that her mother had disappeared, she believed, from the Stockton Mental Hospital, and she wanted to find out if her mom was still alive, and if so, where she was, because she wanted to meet her and, you know, know her mom. Um, so Joyce and I met, and I got all the information that she had, and I started doing research on that, and I taught at the 
Investigation Academy in uh, Martinez, California at the time, teaching the Locating People class. This was, um, the, this was the Center for Professional Investigations and Training. Right. Correct. It was in Martinez, California. Okay. Right. And uh, so I was pretty good at locating people, and this one pretty much stumped me because there was no sign of her once she left that or once she went into the Stockton Mental Hospital. And each time I'd have a new class, we would use this as a, one of our experiments or trying to locate, see if anybody else could locate any more information. Well, one night I was up doing some research really late, and I ran across an article uh, where they had, they closed the mental hospital down and released all the patients, and they decided to make the Stockton State Mental Hospital to change it into a community college there, and they were going to clean up the area and sell condos and have coffee shops and all this stuff there and try to change the image of Stockton and so that it wouldn't just be known for the Stockton State Mental Hospital and all the bad stuff that's happened there, but to try to change the image of the city. And I ran across this article saying in the process of the cleanup, they uh, discovered uh, unmarked graves that had approximately 30 or 40 bodies in there. So when uh, group uh, construction discovered them, they immediately stopped any digging. They were building the overflow pond there for when it rained and, you know, for people just to add to the atmosphere. And in mm -hmm. the process, when they found these bodies, they stopped. And they had the coroner come over, and the coroner there said, you know, these aren't, this isn't Indian remains. And uh, that it was their responsibility to give these bodies dignity and give them a formal burial site. And so then uh, Groupie got Pacific Legacy involved in it. And uh, from then on, it was a rush for them to move those bodies because Joyce and I had discovered this information and that uh, there was no information of her mom ever leaving that hospital. Okay, Tammy, who is Pacific Le Legacy? Uh, Pacific Legacy is the one, the company that, was uh, hired to move the bodies, unearth the bodies, and re-move uh, them over to the Stockton or the rural cemetery there. Okay, and what do they do typically? Do you know? Um, you know, I'm not really sure. I did a little background on them to see what kind of experience they had. If they just, if their main company uh, jobs were to go out and, you know, unearth things. And I'm not really sure, but the uh, bio that I read for the guys that was doing it, they had some class training, but they didn't have any formal, uh, you know, experience on moving graves. Okay, and, and, the, and the construction company you're talking about is, is G-R-U-P-E? Right, Groupie or Group. Construction company out of yeah, Stockton? Right, they're big out there. Um, and, then, and also, I wanted to, uh, the Cornerstone Church you were talking about is located in Livermore? Right. California? Right. Okay. So once we uh, discovered they were in a big rush to move these bodies because Joyce uh, and I wanted to find out if any of these bodies that were in this mass grave could possibly be, one of them could possibly be her mother. And they uh, built a big berm around the dig site and they, in my opinion, it wasn't a very professional job the way that they moved them. And once they were finished, later on, we discovered, after they supposedly had it all cleaned up, we discovered body or bones on top of the ground um, after they supposedly cleaned it up. But we got an injunction through the court to 
uh, stop all the digging until we could get proof that this could be, one of these bodies could be her mother. Now, how did you go about getting the injunction? Uh, we hired an attorney, and the attorney filed it with the courts, and it was a, just a temporary injunction. And uh, the Department of Mental Health said, oh, no, no, there's no way that those bodies could be hers because there was, uh, they found a button and uh, some uh, oh, redwood shards, which they claimed, oh, well, the, the caskets weren't made with redwood at that time during her miss, you know, time she, her mom disappeared. And so we didn't have any proof that it could be. And, you know, they had more money and power behind them, and so the injunction was just a temporary one. And eventually they finally unearthed these bodies and moved them over to the rural cemetery where they uh, had a, a ceremony, which I didn't get to go to, um, Joyce did. But they uh, placed all these bodies and bo the bones in boxes and then buried them in one area with uh, a marker on the grave saying, unidentified remains of Stockton State Mental Hospital patients or something to that effect. And they're all buried in one, lar one large grave. Right. Okay. And before that, I found where this wasn't the first time that had happened. Uh, when, they when they closed the mental hospital and they started doing the cleanup, uh, the man that runs the rural cemetery out in Stockton, once we started talking to him and doing some uh, investigation around there, he said, oh, you know, uh, back in the, I think it was the early 1990s, that he wasn't there at the time, but uh, he was aware of the situation that all of a sudden some people showed up with uh, like 2,238 urns of uh, remains of patients that were from the Stockton Mental Hospital. And they're like, well, where'd all these bodies come from and who are they? Are you, you're talking about cremated remains. Cremated remains, right. Okay. And apparently they had just been on the shelves in the crematory, I guess, at the mental hospital waiting for somebody to give them a proper burial. And they didn't have, uh, they, the names weren't, the, the uh, names of the people weren't identified on the urns. And so basically back then they made one mass, moved them from the shelf in the Stockton Mental Hospital over to uh, the rural cemetery, and there's one marker that's like two foot by two foot that says something to the effect of, oh, I think it's uh, 1990 unidentified remains of Stockton State Mental Hospital patients. Tell us about this crematorium, Tammy. Well, uh, the, the gentleman at the rural cemetery uh, gave us some information on a guy named Donald Roberts who had been a patient in the Stockton Mental Hospital prior to their closing. And so we hunted, and, and then there was another lady named Marge that was highly involved in this, and she's moved from the area and is no longer there. But she gave us some information on what they had done so far, and uh, so we contacted Donald Roberts, and in the process of the interview, he said, oh, I took some pictures at the Stockton Mental Hospital, and so we started looking, and in the process, he told me about the crematory that they had down in the basement. And according to the state of California, they never were licensed to have a crematory there. And apparently this was just part of their practice, and no one was really regulating this, the cemeteries, much less the mental hospital patients at the time. And so the patients were abused, and her mom had had uh, 63 electric shock treatments in three weeks or something like that. 
three in one day, and you know, when people died there, unless they died during a medical procedure, they didn't have to notify the coroner's office. I see. And so I guess they just, instead of the cost and trouble of burying them, they just put them in the incinerator and and burned them and put them in a box. And, and didn't report it anywhere. Right. And so there all, were all these bodies that were unmarked, and so it seems like that this was an, a known practice out there, and... Um, people knew about these mass graves. There's another one over by um, this little market. Um, apparently, forget the person that bought it, but it, uh, I think he was from the American Legion or something like that, bought this property next to uh, a small market out there, uh, Alpine Market, and the lot next to that also uh, used to be part of the old Stockton Cemetery, and there are Basically, they can't sell the property or do anything with it because they would need to clean up that site before they could do anything on it. And uh, and the numbers are unknown at that site, correct? Right. There, at one time, the Stockton Mental Hospital had 5,000 patients in it. Back in the when there when the uh, gold rush hit, they used to use some kind of uh, chemical to extract the gold out of the rock. And this uh-huh. stuff made people go crazy, and so it was one of the biggest, it was the first state mental hospital in California, and it was one of the biggest in the country at the time. And uh, so there was no regulations back then. Uh, you know, people were experimenting with electric shock treatments and uh, frontal lobotomies, and uh, they would they didn't want the mental health patients to be repopulating, so they, uh, so get the term now, they made, they made them go through the process where they couldn't have any more ba- babies. Let me interject here, Tammy. Um, according to the online archive of California, mm-hmm. it says the uh, Stockton State Hospital first opened its doors in 1851 and remained a functioning state hospital until 1995. And then it goes on to say that the records of the Department of Mental Hygiene Stockton State Hospital covers the years of 1852 to 1994 and consists of over 130 bound volumes, one cubic foot of textual records, and over 2,300 photographic prints, negatives, and slides. So there, there is a lot of information available uh, if anybody wants to go and do research on their own family through that, uh, on that hospital. Okay. And during the time we were investigating out there, we ran across different people that said, oh, yeah, uh, one lady, her husband had been in there, and she showed up for her weekly uh, visit with him, and they said, oh, well, she can't, he's not well, he can't visit today. And so they put her off several weeks in a row, and then one day she got a letter saying that her husband had passed away, and uh, so she never got to see him, and, no, you know, she didn't know what happened to the body. They ha- People have had uh, family members go in the Stockton Mental Hospital, but they never were, they never came out. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, back then, they, like I said, they practiced with frontal lobotomies and electric shock treatments. And if someone died during that time, uh, you know, they didn't report it. There was a doctor that we ran, well, there was doctors listed on the medical records that Joyce had obtained. And in the process of going through there, we found a couple of doctors that were still living. And uh, one of the doctors that we believe is the one that, signed off on the electric shock treatments and did the electric shock treatments, uh, 
we heard, and I don't know if this is true or not, that uh, when he was giving the electric shock treatments, and, you know, keep in mind that he was one of the first ones doing this, and he, you know, they didn't know how much was too much, and sometimes he would give patients too much electric shock treatment, and, they, and then they would die, and then he would be God, act like God, and bring them back to life. And a few times, you know, they didn't come back to life. They just died during the procedure. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there was no complaints filed or anything because nobody, well, first, you know, people back in the, you know, early 1900s, if people had family members that had a mental health problem, that was kind of an embarrassment to the family. And I'm sure everybody knows of so somebody had an old Uncle Joe or something that lived up in the, uh, or lived in the basement or something and never came out or, you know, they'd stick them in these mental hospitals and then just rely on the mental hospital uh, doctors and nurses to take care of them. Right. And they treated them. There was uh, records that we found where another couple of other uh, patients had uh, gotten physically abusive with Joyce's mom, and that was in the records. In the records, there were uh, they were real good about keeping track of uh, different things that happened, like, she had this test or that test or this electric shock treatment. And then towards the end, we got uh, information off of there where they had uh, gone back and added comments, and they were way out of date, and, you know, it was just, in my opinion, a way for them to try to cover their butt because they claimed, oh, well, all of a sudden uh, she, uh, Elizabeth, just walked away from the mental hospital, and, you know, she's probably out there living somewhere, being happy and living a a fine life, well, uh, you know, that's about the time that all the medical records started uh, getting kind of dicey, mm-hmm. where they had, they'd widened out entries and added pages were uh, mm. way out of se- sequence. And, and Tammy, were you able to determine what happened to the patients when they closed the hospital, where well, they were transferred to, or if there were any left? Yeah, there. I think uh, I may be wrong on the count. There was not very many, several hundred, like three, four hundred patients that were in there at the time, and they were released. And one of them was uh, Donald uh, Roberts. Uh huh. And he was the one that took the pictures originally of the uh, crematory, and he provided me with those pictures and other pictures and of what the sites looked like before they ever started doing the cleanup, before I got involved in it or anything. And, and you actually. Uh, Excuse so me. there are patients out there that were in the Stockton Mental Hospital. He was a young guy. He was only in his 40s or something, but he recently passed away. And, uh, you know, he was an advocate for uh, trying to get, you know, identify the people that went into the hospital and find out where they went when they disappeared. And because for our listeners there was a lot of foul who, play out during, in that hospital just when the, during the time he was in there. Right. And for our listeners that are interested in, in further information of the story and, and your interview with Donald Roberts, they can find that on YouTube if they put in Stockton Mental Hospital. They can find uh, two or three interviews that Tammy conducted on YouTube. Right. Um, it was quite interesting talking to Donald. Um, they told him that he needed to stop nosing around there. And he was wanting to be elected for some local position out there for some board or something. And so he was afraid to even drive in the car on the grounds with us in fear of they would do something to him. And I wanted him to show me which, which building that he found the crematory, the cremation, you know, the crematory in and which ones were the, 
which was the building that he took the pictures in. Because some, by the time I got involved, some of the buildings had been torn down and were no longer there. But this crematory lasts, I mean, just up until the last couple of years and may still be there. The, build, the building had uh, asbestos in it, and so they couldn't change it over to uh, use it as part of the school until they cleaned it up, and they may have cleaned it up by now. But okay. So you actually went and saw the crematorium yourself? Yes. Uh, groupie uh, construction, some of the uh, top dogs over there, they said, oh, well, you know, if it'll make you feel better, Joyce, we'll give you a tour of the crematory, but it, they were kind of doing that to get us off of going over, you know, to just kind of set her heart at ease that your mom's not here, you know, this stuff was way before that, but we'll let you go and see, you know, part of the hospital. They didn't take us through the whole thing, but they did take us to the crematory because we had asked them about that, and I took pictures there during that, our uh, tour through there, and in the crem cremation room, there was a, uh, a list on the wall and it had dates like, oh, 2-19, uh, 1956 or something like that. And they had check marks next to it. And according to Donald, those check marks corresponded to the people that they cremated on that date. Hmm. So they didn't even identify them. I mean, it's uh, like worse than Hitler. At least he kept track of you know, people's <laughs> names and stuff. Out there, they, I mean, I'm, I probably shouldn't have made that comment, but, you know, it's like nobody seems to have the funds to investigate what happened out there and it's you know history and uh, as far as most people out there are concerned they don't have the money the funds to deal with it and they just want to no pun intended but just keep it buried and move on and now, eventually and state department of health agreed to test the remains for uh, age at the time of death and sex correct well, they did uh, first, but then they took that offer back saying, oh, no, those, uh, you know, that couldn't be during, there's no way that those remains could be Joyce's, and we're not going to spend the money to find out. If she wants to, fine. So, but now they've moved the bodies into the other, they've re-entered them or whatever at the rural cemetery, and so it's going to take more now for her to be able to get them at more cost and, uh, legal fees involved in trying to get back to the point where we were. At least when they made that offer, the bodies weren't reburied yet. I see. But we got Senator Corbett involved in it, and uh, she wrote him a letter saying that she wanted pictures of all this and that uh, she wanted the two male and two female uh, DNA testing done to see if it was any of those bodies could have been during that time. And uh, basically... Uh, we got uh, information from Corbett's office saying uh, that it doesn't matter what Senator Corbett wants. They're not going to do any DNA testing. Um, it's, oh, that uh, redwood shards and square nails were located at the site, and these materials were used during the 1800s, and that this is the ace in the hole, so to speak, that they will not budge on this or there's no possibility of them conducting DNA testing. And I think part of their issue was if they opened this up for DNA testing, then they may be opening up a can of worms. Right. Well, let me yeah. ask Joyce a question. Joyce, um, there were ultimately two skeletons that were determined to be females 
that were about the age of your mother when they died and were about the same uh, stature. Is that right? Yes, there is. Uh-huh. And then, and um, so there were out of out of all the skeletons, somehow they determined that two of those skeletons were possible matches for your mother. Yes. Okay. What? Ha- how did they? How did that come about? Um, I I uh, when I filed the injunction, um, it was mandatory that they had to describe each one of those bodies, and it was for the sex the height of each body, and the date, <clears throat> the age, not the date, but the age at time of death. Okay. And there's two bodies that fit my mother, and she was only five feet tall. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then, um, but you were, but you wanted to have the two of DNA them done. tested for DNA. And that's and where everybody Senator got Corbett stuck. Senator Corbett also uh, sent him a letter saying that she wanted them to take photographs during the process of moving them, and they refused to do that. And they said, oh, well, after the final report comes in, we'll get you a copy of it, which they didn't do. And uh, Bill Hall and Kirsten McIntyre uh, are the ones that are under the assumption that they didn't need to respond to Senator Corbett and that they weren't going to accommodate her request. And they're with the Department of uh, Mental Health. And basically, they tried blocking us. They told us that we don't need to be in Stockton anymore, that she, uh, they made a note putting that she had gone to some other state, I forget where it was now, to see an old, some, one of her relatives, and that we should go look there. And we filed, uh, put ads in the newspaper there and contacted people, and she never, there was no record that she ever went anywhere other than Abbey Street in Oakland, and then from there to the mental hospital. And also, another thing is her, uh, Joyce's uncle paid for her, for her mom's storage unit for 10 years after she came, went up missing, and she never went back to reclaim any of her items. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you would think that even if she didn't want to tell the family that she was out and afraid they'd put her back in there or whatever, you would think that she would at least go get her remains or her uh, belongings and, you know, that there would have been some kind of record the Social Security Administration wouldn't release any information on her because she, they said that she hadn't been uh, oh, reported as, there was no death record of her. And so until that, they couldn't release any information. So we went okay. through the courts and got a, once I found, you know, determined there is just no record of her anywhere. Uh, I went to court with Joyce and we got the judge to uh, order a death certificate dated the date of death of February 19th, 1956, which he agreed with us, that she okay. probably, she didn't come out of that mental hospital. All right. That's the voice of Tammy Davidson back after a commercial break. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. 
For a national association, Francie's Choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PIs Declassified. IRB Search is simply the best online data provider for locating people, businesses, and assets. IRB Search gives you strength in numbers. With one click, you can access billions of records. Even with partial information on your subject, IRB Search instantly returns current and past addresses, phone numbers, and more. Call IRB Search today at 1-800-447-2112 to sign up. Mention PIs Declassified and you'll receive a two-week trial of 100 free searches to get started. Call 1-800-447-2112 to find out why IRB Search is simply the best. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio, because shift happens. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Private investigator Tammy Davidson and Joyce Tafoya are discussing their remarkable search for Elizabeth. Elizabeth Rafton, Joyce's mother. Uh, it's important to note, we were just talking during the break, that the death certificate that Joyce received and signed by the judge was actually dated 1956, and her, her place of death was Stockton State Mental Hospital. So that's an important uh, fact that hadn't come out yet. And then uh, also, Joyce and Tammy, you interviewed somebody by the name of Dolores Chamberlain. Who is she? She was a psych tech. Uh, Joyce ran an ad in the newspaper out there, and she was a psych tech that came forward and uh, met with us a couple times, talking to us, giving us some of the information that she knew uh, from the time that, that she was working out there, which uh, was a couple of years. Okay, and, and, she, and what did she tell you? Joyce, did you want to She told me that um, she was a psych tech, and the amount of years she worked out there, she remembers my mother briefly. She was there when my mother was there, and if anybody walked off the grounds and became missing, it was total 
totally new with all the employees as she was, and nobody ever walked off the grounds. And she would testify that in the court of law. And I have it in writing from her also. Okay, so Joyce, she's saying that, to her knowledge, nobody ever walked off the property and disappeared. No. Okay. And is she still living? Do you know? Yes. Okay. All right. And so you're, you're in a position now, Joyce, that all you want from the state of California is to test the remains of those two skeletons that fit your mother's description and test yes. them for DNA to see if they're, they're your mother. Yes. That's all you want. Yes, because I want some type of closure. Right. And what would you like to leave our listeners with? What would I like from this? What would you like them to know that will ultimately... What would I like to know ultimately? That if my mother uh, is one of these bodies so I can have closure. I'm okay. also writing a book in, the, in regards to all this. And you're writing, and what's the name of your book? Uh, Why Did Somebody Do Somebody Wrong? Okay. And then Tammy, what, how would you like to summarize what you've done so far and where you'd like this to go? Well, I know that the story sounds way out there like some kind of bad dream or something, but these type of cases do happen, and a lot of times uh, people can't find anyone to help them because they're just running against a brick wall dealing with uh, some of the agencies, state agencies or whatever. And, uh, you know, if anybody out there is having this happen and they need uh, help working on a case, uh, you know, please contact me and I can try and help you or direct you to someone that can. And also, uh, um, if there's anyone out there that it, this is going to cost a lot of money for Joyce to do this, and now that the bodies have been reburied, if anyone's out there and they feel like they might want to make a donation to help her legal fees, uh, that would be great because part of the problem so far is uh, there's no money. She doesn't have the money, and I, I don't have any more money to add that I can put towards this case, and sure. that's basically why we've stopped working on it. Okay, and, and what, um, what is on the side of the hospital now? Is the it's, hospital, <clears throat> are there still hospital buildings there? Yes, uh, the last time I was there, part of one end of the building had been cleaned up, and it was uh, like, I don't know if it was the community college or if it was like an adult school there, but there's some type of school going on there, and they're, uh, one of the buildings is uh, used, or there's probably more of them now, are used for the uh, University of California Stockton um, Satellite Office or right. Satellite School, <coughs> Satellite and, Campus or whatever. And the building the uh, crematory was in, is that still standing? Yes, unless they've torn it down in the last year or two. Okay. All right. And... Um, Joyce, you were telling me that you, you and Tammy sat for hours waiting for this lady to go through a, a database. Could you tell us about that? Tammy and I, after the judge uh, uh, said that he would um, honor a delayed death certificate because my mother had been missing over five years and she's assumed deceased, he gave us a slip of paper for the delayed death certificate, and I got that a year later from Sacramento. We went promptly over to the Social Security office in Stockton. This kind lady, after we sat and waited a couple hours, ran 
numerous printouts from the time my mother was missing till the present, which was 2007, and no activity had ever, ever been formulated in regards to her Social Security records. She, and so, she had never filed for a new Social Security card or number either. So there was no activity on the one that she was assigned, nor had she uh, contacted them for, um, to obtain a new Social Security number. And she's nowhere on marriage, death, or birth records or credit reports. Nowhere. No unemployment, no, no disability, nothing. Interesting. Well, you know, it's interesting. There's uh, the missing person statistics uh, for, from the California Department of Justice actually um, under the category of dependent adult, which is the definition, any adult who has physical or mental limitation that restricts his or her ability to carry out normal activities, such as Alzheimer's. In, in 2009, there were 1,981 people that went missing that were in that category. So if anybody's interested in looking at that statistics, you can go to um, California Department of uh, Justice, Missing Persons for California. Uh, put that in Google, and you can get those statistics. It's quite she's, interesting. She's also into, in the Department of Missing Persons. I have filed a report. She's also with the Department of Justice in their database uh, that represents all states. So I think we've covered all our bases between Tammy and I. Yeah, Please. one thing I wanted to add, too, when she went missing, uh, they just made a note, and they never contacted anybody. They never filed a police report. They basically just didn't do anything, according to them. Um, and, you know, they're in charge of mental patients, and you would think that if one walked off of the mental hospital that they would have filed a missing pers persons report, uh, which there was never one filed until Joyce filed one uh, you know, 96 or 97, whenever it was. And uh, so she was never on that missing database. And uh, basically, you know, they were just like, oh, well, she could probably be taking care of herself. And according to the uh, tech, psych tech there, she said only one person had walked away from there, and they had gotten ran over at the uh, railroad crossing that was there. Okay. I've got to, we have to finish this. It's a fascinating story. Thank you to my guests, Tammy Davidson and Joyce Tafoya, for sharing their unusual story. If you have any information about the Stockton State Hospital case, or if you have a family member who's missing from that hospital or know of someone who is, please contact Tammy at 713-549-0715, area code 713-549-0715, which is her cell phone, or at Tammy at DoubleEdgeInvestigations.com. Tammy at DoubleEdgeInvestigations.com. If you have questions for Joyce, you can reach her through her email at TafoyaJoyce, T-A-F-O-Y-A-J-O-Y-C-E, all one word, at Yahoo.com. Or you can always send an email to Francie at PISDeclassified.com. Thank you once again to those who support the show, IRB Search, Merlin Information Services, data providers to private investigators and related professions, and also to PI Magazine and PI Museum, all of which can be found by Googling the name. Next week's guests are renowned expert on deceptive facial clues, Dr. Paul Ekman, and interview and interrogation expert, Doug Bren. The show is entitled, I Know You're Lying, Reading the Cues and Clues. Don't miss it. Tune in again as we just declassify more real stories from real investigators every Thursday morning, 12 noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. 
And if you're not available during the live broadcast, the show can be downloaded to MP3 or iTunes the following day, or you can listen to it uh, directly from the website. If you have a story or know of an interesting case involving a private investigator, please send an email to me at francie at picdeclassified.com. It's PIs Declassified. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to PIs Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, here on the Voice America Variety Channel.